welcome everyone to I So Appreciate You, a raw, funny, and uniquely insightful podcast about the issues and opportunities we all face as values-based leaders and humans. I'm Nadej. And I'm Melanie. We're colleagues at the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation, and we're friends. When we get together, our conversations can go anywhere, especially when bringing a friend or two along for the ride. So we're inviting you to join us and some incredible guests as we explore the challenges and triumphs of people shaking up our community for the better. Welcome, listeners. Uh, Today, we're excited for this episode um, to be joined by uh, Mukhtar Ibrahim, who is the CEO of the Sahan Journal. So he'll be joining us in a little bit and we'll get to talk about, I mean, the impactful work that he is leading um, with that news outlet but before then, like news, like we've actually been talking about this lately. We have. Yes. We just had dinner where this came up yeah. and we were, we were all sort of comparing notes and sort of uh, lamenting the fact that we don't get anything that is not like us. Can you explain what I just said to people? Cause I just don't know what the <laughs> bleep I just said. Um, so we were, I think it actually started talking about like Netflix feed. Yes. Thank but you. But it was thank the you. idea that we get content so curated to who we are right. that like if you shared your feed with me and I shared my feed with you you'd be like what is this show I've never yes. seen like 10 shows before yes. that I'm being sort of suggested and I might feel the same way for yours exactly yes thank you for this it came up we were taught we um we had one of our our niece is over our friend's daughter and um, my wife was was you know putting on Netflix and thinking oh well she's gonna get all these white lady lesbian movies and we're like we need to we need to change it up she is a little black girl who wants cartoons with people who look like her so we're like flipping through and that's where it came from really thinking like what are we watching and how do we how do we get more diversity in the the things that we're picking mm-hmm. when we're being fed all the stuff that is just feeding sort of our interest and that's I'm kind of joking it's not like we have this no, you, no, no, you but, know what I'm saying but this like it's of, it's totally right though because that's happening in, you know, right. in our consumption of movies and TV shows, that's yes. fine. But it's also happening in our consumption of news and information in the various places that we get that. You're right. You're right. And, you know, we were talking just a little bit earlier and I asked you, you know, if you if you ever read a newspaper and I'm an actual hardcore. Um, yes. And so every morning newspaper um, occasionally. Because we actually get the newspaper delivered this is every amazing. day. We used to get the newspaper and I miss it. Do you, do you like that tangible feeling? I know. You know, so I got to I got to like credit where credit is okay. due. That is Joshua, my husband. He is the newspaper guy. I, I have tried and I find that I have more success um, looking at the headlines on my phone and sort of clicking into stories right. like legitimately. I am the most awkward human being with, with <laughs> in front are. of me. Yeah. I'm sort of like, how do you fold it? You see these people in the coffee shop who are so elegant. They <laughs> open it. They yeah, like origami. It, yep. mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I wish I could be you, but I can't. So now I don't even want to try. <laughs> right. Yes, it's true. Uh, how do you take care of yourself around, uh, around news? Because it is, I think it's, it's almost in ways like a, a, it's important for us to know what's going on, but it can be poisonous to our souls. So I'm curious about... If you have any sort of practices, 
Yikes. Uh, no, probably not. Okay. Um, All right. I mean, you know, because I think about sometimes the hardest stories are the ones that get over amplified in non-news platforms. So, you know, probably I spend more time of all of the social media channels on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And right, there are delightful videos that uh, Viola Davis shares about kids doing cute things, amazing athletes and dancers and all of that jazz. But then like when a big moment of crisis sort of hits, all of a sudden the feeds that normally were a place I went to for a respite and for a break are all full of everybody re-amplifying the same story. So interestingly enough, like I'm most challenged by the hard news in the place where I actually don't go intentionally. Ah, that, yeah. I'm sure that's a lot of people have that experience. I mean, now that you say that, you're right. Like we, if you want to take a a mental break from, from something, it's almost impossible if you're on your phone. If you're on anything. Did I tell you this experiment I'm doing? No. So I am trying to recurate my Instagram algorithm. Oh, so the other day somebody posted something okay. and I thought, oh, this is great. And so I click, clicked all the way through to the source and I was like, oh, I should follow this source. This sure. is really good information. I was following the source. I had literally uh, never seen that yeah. piece of information or that particular post because of how Instagram was choosing to feed mm-hmm. stuff to me. So every day for the last few days, I've been like, unfollowing or muting accounts that I'm like, I don't actually care about you. And it is mind blowing to me. Like I cannot clearly articulate listeners. I'm sorry. You're about to hear me babble. Like who does Instagram think I am because of, of the options that they have available of the hundreds of accounts that I'm following they keep feeding me the ones I care about the least. And so I'm trying to figure out what have I done as a consumer mm-hmm. of this of this platform right. to make them think that like something that I maybe liked two years ago and literally haven't seen a post right. of is something I want versus the ones that I've intentionally like sought out. So I don't know. So it, this is an ongoing experiment. We can check back in on yeah. how your feed is. And it, it, it might be down to like three accounts. It's right. <laughs> I hope I'm on them. <laughs> Me and I say <laughs> our, our podcast channel know that I think, it, well, we're going to, we're going to dig into it in a little bit and it's going to be really interesting from the lens of a reporter, someone who's in journalism just to see how, um, how information is disseminated through a reputable journalistic entity mm-hmm. like the Sahan journal. Right. With new voices and, and making Absolutely. sure that we're basically putting more into the algorithm. I love that. Great closing. (laughs) We'll be right back um, with Mukhtar Ibrahim. By now, you know that Melanie and I work for a community foundation. But what is a community foundation? How does it differ from other foundations or nonprofit organizations? Community foundations, like the St. Paul and Minnesota Foundation, bring together the financial resources of families, individuals, and organizations who care about a specific place and then invest those resources back into the community. Want to know more about us and how we work? Visit spmcf.org backslash blog and search what is a community foundation. Well, today we are super excited to have a very special guest, uh, Mukhtar Ibrahim. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's so fun. You're kind of on the other end of the microphone today because you are a, a, a journalist, a reporter, and so we're, we're excited to 
to talk with you, but before we do, I just want to um, tell our listeners a, a tiny bit about you. You founded the Sahan Journal, which is a nonprofit newsroom dedicated to covering Minnesota immigrants and communities of color. Now, your list of accolades and awards is just way too long for us to, to get into, but I want to highlight a couple of things. Um, we found it interesting, uh, and in our last episode, talked a lot about social media, and it it uh, looks like the Minnesota chapter of uh, the Society of Professional Journal- Journalists named your Twitter account the best so- social media account in Minnesota, which is a big deal. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's amazing. been a while. Yeah, it was like 2018, yeah. <laughs> Um, and you were named by the Twin Cities Business Magazine as top 100 people to know. And this is like, I'm, I'm telling y'all, this is just scratching the surface of all of your accomplishments. A little bit about you personally, we learned from research and watching other interviews. You were born in Somalia and you spent your childhood in Ethiopia and Kenya and now have lived your adult life with your family in Minnesota. So I, I um, am super excited to dig in and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me and having me. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Well, before we get to the serious stuff, we like to start off every interview with three quick questions. So are you ready? Yes. Okay. Let's do it. Writing on paper or digitally? Paper. Oh. I have my notebook here in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> so old school. Though I have been a journalist for many years in the digital space, I still like to, you know, create my own thing by writing down on paper. Must it just be, gives you a different feeling. So you can read your own handwriting. I can't. So that that helps. Sometimes when I'm reporting and interviewing, it's uh, and you come back to the newsroom. Yeah. Sometimes you might just <laughs> yeah, okay. Now I feel <laughs> better. Well, it makes written. me feel better. Yes. yes. Yeah. I'll go through a day of meetings and I'm like, who wrote this? Mm-hmm. What is this? Okay. Um, next one: fruits or vegetables? Uh, vegetables. Okay. Okay. Um, and then finally, texting or calling. A mix of both. Okay. Yeah. Um, I like to keep up with people and, you know, making calls feels special. Um, but when you just want immediate things or you want to ask questions or you want to check in with someone uh, and you don't want to talk, you know, for a while, uh, texts can do, can do the work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Calls are special. I like that you said that. Yeah. I, mean, right. I, remember, I remember, remember that when I like you know, push, don't answer, don't answer when people are calling me. I'm not right gonna. now. I'm going to think of them as like, Oh yeah, you're calling me instead of why are you calling? Yes, me? exactly. And, yes. You know, as we become more digital and we get connected, I think just, yeah. we don't want to lose touch of, you know, the thing that connects us, uh, which, you know, talking to people, hearing their voice. And I think that's, um, something that I, I like to keep up with. That's that's nice. great. Good. Well, we're going to jump into some questions about the work that you do. We want to start with um, a question around narrative change. At the foundation, we we talk about it. We invest in it. We It's really important to us and wanted to just know at the start of this conversation, what does narrative change mean to you and why is it important? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good uh, question to start. Um, and I just want to acknowledge the foundation support. In, in this environment of um, trying to support uh, places and organizations that uh, try to change the narrative. And essentially that means, you know, trying to provide in the journalism space, you know, um, I, I think about what happened after 9-11 yes. and how the mainstream media covers Muslim Americans, for example. Uh, the narrative around um, Muslim Americans tends to be one-sided around, you know, terrorism or 
recruitment or Al-Qaeda or ISIS and national security. That's that's right. the narrative that's pretty much uh, around um, Muslim communities in, in America. And that narrative tends to be there even after each administration. Mm-hmm. It just evolves. But the policies and everything that's even passed from the national space, the federal government is still part of that, you know, complete narrative around, you know, what the government, what the mainstream media, what the society thinks about Muslim Americans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine you're flying and your name is Muhammad or, you know, Ibrahim or whatever. Um, you are not going to have the same experience as someone you know, named, you know, Tim or Michael or, you know, um, and how can we, how can journalism play a role in really shifting that narrative and trying to bring the more holistic um, view of what these communities are because they are very diverse, right? Like the Muslim community is one of the diverse, you know, uh, religion in in the, in the world. And um, how can we capture, you know, the real stories about, people, right? Mm-hmm. Who are our neighbors, who are our coworkers, who are um, our leaders in, in the political space and just, you know, not focus too much on national security, but also what unites us, right? What connects us, what um, uh, we think of our neighbors and, and people who live with us because they have their own fears and needs and experiences and they're just like us, you know? Right, right. Um, so how can, how can journalism play a role in really trying to display a different view of the Muslim American uh, society in, in general than just, you know, you, the one-dimensional aspect of national security and terrorism and right. whatever. Yeah, you're really you're really hitting on another thing we talk a lot about, which is this dominant narrative. A, not, a narrative rises about a community or about a group of people from someone, but um, that narrative often doesn't belong to the people, the one that we, we hear um, in mainstream media. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate yeah. you sharing that with us. So, you know, as I think about narrative change and all the vehicles for narratives, right? We have, you know, media, TV, radio, podcast, all of those things. Why is uh, journalism such a productive tool? I mean, I, I have my thoughts on that answer, but I'd love to, to hear it from you. Yeah, I had a conversation with someone actually yesterday. And uh, one thing she said stood with me. Um, she said, journalists are bridge builders. Um, and, you know, the vehicle we use can be both good and bad. Uh, journalism is very complicated um, field. Um, you have, you know, broadcast journalism, you have print journalism, you have online journalism, and you have different mediums of journalism. And um, I think chronicling, you know, stories and events as they happen in a way that can capture that moment in a very clear way is, is powerful, you know? And just imagine what happened uh, when George Floyd was killed um, that day and how the media covered it. You know, I, I was up that night, I was, you know, getting tweets and people are informing me about what happened. And what the police said completely was like completely different than what I was hearing and seeing, right? right. Um, so how can we capture that moment in a way that's very accurate so that it's going to go into the archives and when people 
review that moment after you know 100 years or 200 years they they will have a good picture of what that moment you know felt for for the community and for the site and for the you know country as a whole right. uh, so i think that's why journalism is just documenting things as they happen in a way that is accurate and reliable and you're not just adding you know um, misleading information but you're just trying to capture the moment as they happen and that's i think um it just you know even i think his, historians that and everyone they review facts and and what happened based on what reporters did or newspapers covered at that particular moment and um for you to peel back and just go back in history uh it's just you know journalism and that's why i think it's really important in society to have uh, journalism and, and uh, reporters to just be out in the community and covering issues and documenting as things happen. Right. You, uh, you uh, mentioned facts, which is such a, an interesting, um, I guess, thing as we think about define, who gets to define the truth in journalism. And you've also sort of uh, brought up this notion of, I guess, citizen journalists and reporters, because in a way we all are sort of micro reporters as we see what's going on around us and then documenting it. So we wanted to just kind of um, check in with, with this era of fake news, how you navigate that as, as a, an organization and as a journalist when you're really combating this notion of truth all of the time. Because even if you're telling the truth, someone's going to say you're not. Um, and likewise, you're trying to dispel all of these uh, false narratives that are being pumped into the world. So can you just touch a little bit on your challenge there? So the idea of fake news is when I, I, in, in practical terms, you know, when you write, I heard about you, right? You did mm -hmm. something or you are in the news in a way that you don't like right. and you just call that fake news. Right. Um, but I think that's why we need to have a Jones in place, a newspaper or an organization that holds, you know, the principles of journalism which you know, fairness, accuracy, um, minimizing harm, uh, and these people in the middle who really don't have a stake in what's going on, but tell us exactly how things are, are going or happening in that um, you know in that particular time. Right. And that's why you know we are just everyone is on social media or they have their preferred way of consuming news or preferred you know website or place to get the news and it's hard to change someone's view if they are already locked. You know, if you, right. if you say, you know, I like this website, they cover things that, you know, validate my views and perspectives. Uh, you're not going to read the New York Times or listen to NPR or watch right. CNN because you, you feel like they are not siding with you or telling you things that are opposite to what you uh, have already consumed or believe in. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, this fragmentation of uh, media is just, um, problematic in society and um, that's why I think we need we need more uh, journalists, we need more uh, newsrooms, we need more places that we can turn to that give us you know facts and information uh, and as you know you know media especially newspapers have been uh, closing down across the country right. um, St. Cloud uh, City is now they don't have a paper uh, St. Cloud Times used to be one of the, you know, largest news, newspapers in Minnesota, and now it's down to one reporter. Um, so wow. imagine, you know, 
80,000 uh, mm-hmm. residents in St. Cloud not having um, a place to turn to when, right. when things happen in the community. They will just go what they are uh, what they see on you know Twitter or Facebook or WhatsApp. Though then that that might not be like really accurate, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you if you kind of uh, remove journalists from the picture, you just get all this world where you don't know what's true or what's not. Wow, there's there's really a lot to unpack there, and you know, I caught that you talked about the journalistic principles and the, and you know, the conveying of facts and information. And one of the things that I've been wondering about is in your work, um, really around intentional narrative change, right? Lifting up the voices that haven't been lifted. Do you ever feel a tension, or does anyone create a false tension for you around like journalistic objectivity? And, you know, being intentional about who's, who you're mm-hmm. talking to and who you're covering. Yeah. Yeah. That's another issue that I grappled with when I was working in ministry newsrooms. Um, the idea of objectivity is you don't have any feelings toward, you know, what you're covering. And as personal, as, as human beings, you know, we have feelings. I have uh, different experiences and lived, you know, experiences than, my white colleagues when it comes to issues around immigration or, um, you know, terrorism or, you know, things that affect me directly. If the mayor or the city council decides to ban alcohol, for example, um, I I don't drink and I don't have any feelings toward it, you know? But if someone is, for example, if, if someone is a reporter, and they go to a bar, you know, after 5 p.m. when they file their stories and they're on deadline and they just want to cool off, you know, and they don't have that opportunity anymore. They, they will have, you know, different feelings. They, so objectivity means you just remove yourself from everything, right? And it's really hard to do that. Um, I, when I was reporting, you know, issues around uh, immigration and religion, for example, um, people will tell me, you know, don't get pigeonholed, you know, mm-hmm. try to cover something else. Um, and those are the stories that were close to my heart, that I was very interested in, that I could do better than anyone else. So that when someone reads that story, they just get a different understanding and feeling about that particular issue. And... Um, you know, it's it it's really hard thing in journalism around the idea of objectivity because the essentially that means uh, we have to be completely objective, and it's that's not possible. I, I don't believe that uh, principle. Right. I believe in uh, fairness, um, even if I don't like the ordinance that the city council passes. You know, right. I will I will cover it in a way that is fair. That is, I will talk to the council members. I will understand their perspectives and views about why they passed the ordinance. And I will talk to people who are probably upset and against it. Um, and people who support that initiative or ordinance. And you get the full picture of what that mm-hmm. means, right? Then you inserting yourself or removing yourself from the story. Right. You just try it in a way that completely gives you a full picture of what that means. Right. Um, there was, um, a while back, I covered a story around the municipal ID in Minneapolis where, you know, undocumented immigrants can get a city ID so that they can open a bank account or 
they can show it to the police when they get stopped or, you know, or, um, go to the library to get a book or something. And there was unanimous decision around the need to have that ID in the city council. And the city council passed it, you know, full and no objection. Um, people who showed up in that in those hearings were fully supportive of the of the measure. And when I filed this story, um, it just captured, you know, what happened. Mm-hmm. And I, when the story was edited and it was ready to be published, I, I got an email saying we have to include a voice that is against this measure. Um, and you know, I was like. Why, why do we need a voice that is against it when that those people didn't even show up for right. the hearings? Or So I ended up, you know, reaching out to anti-immigrants uh, groups and included a voice in the story, which really have like no stake in what was going on in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, the way you frame and shape this right. story really matters and who tells your story matters. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's why I founded Sahan Journal so that we won't have those kind of, you know, tension or we won't question, you know, how we how we put together a story, uh, because as long as we are following this, you know, basic journalistic skills right. uh, principles, uh, everything will just move on. That's can I, you know, I just so many things that you said there, but I think what I really want to pull on is is what you were kind of suggesting is creating sort of. Uh, contrasting op- or oppositional positions just for the sake of doing it is not objectivity, but it can seem like that. But the facts that you saw in that example you just provided us, nobody was objecting in real time. The story was it passed unobjected, and yet you were asked to find someone who felt different, as if suggesting that those two things had existed in mm-hmm. real time in exactly, the process yeah. of passing that. You know, um, yeah, definitely. If there was someone else reporting this story, they will have probably called around to find out, you know, who's against this and all of that. But I, I felt, you know, this was something that all the council members agreed on. Uh, the place was full of people who were supportive of the measure. Like, why do we need a different voice in in that, mm-hmm. you know, in that story, for example? Um we have to be, if you want to be objective, then, you know, you just have two things that are not equal. Uh, yeah. there, there's only one truth, right? One full story. And as long as you try to bring different voices, then that completely changes. Mm-hmm. You you talked about the complexity <laughs> and this just illustrates it right there. Um, and I also, I appreciate that you talk about how you can't fully remove objectivity from reporting because humans are are doing the reporting. And I, I would imagine that that um, extends to what stories are being told. And you also mentioned who tells the story. So I'm, I'm curious about the changes that you maybe have observed in Minnesota as a result of the Sehan Journal just being an entity, telling the stories that might not otherwise be reported and certainly bringing new voices to the conversation in really important ways. Um, have you had had some observations about the ripple effect of that in either micro or macro ways? Yeah. Um, you know, I came to Minnesota in 2005 and the number of um, people of color in the state was around, I think, 8%. Um, in 2010, that was around, I think, 13, 14%. Mm-hmm. Now it's 
24% of the state's population are people of color. And who's telling these stories? Right. You know, um, the, the nonprofit journalism that they created in 2019 was to have a place that can give us a full picture of how these communities are changing and redefining and transforming our state. And when I was a reporter, you know, at NPR, the um, Star Tribune, I would write stories, simple stories about, you know, um, the Ethiopian community or the Liberian community mm -hmm. or, you know, um, the Muslim community in general. And those stories will, after, you know, a couple of hours, they will just shoot up to be, to be like the most straight stories on the website. And I just wondered how come yeah. we are not doing more of those stories right. since we, we see there's a need mm -hmm. in, um, in readership. People want to read these stories, but we were not, we were not equipped or resource mm -hmm. to, to really provide more coverage around issues that are relevant to, to these communities. And um, I think that really piqued my interest when I got you know, uh, a fellowship from the Bush Foundation to uh, advance my skills around journalism. And the idea was to you know, come back and, and launch um, a newsroom that focuses on the issues that are, are relevant to communities of color. And um, when we launched, you know, we, we are covering issues that are open, like anyone can read really these stories. People can go to, you know, shops or um, mosques or places that, you know, uh, these communities convene and they can find, you know, deep stories that anyone else uh, can, can read. And um, we were very small when we launched, you know, it was just me in 2019 mm -hmm. and then uh, it grew from there. Now we are a full, uh, full, a full newsroom of, you know, 18 people. It's amazing. That's and, a lot of growth. Um, we are covering, you know, stories around education and mm -hmm. economy and business and housing and health and basically everything that any reporter should be covering. And what we found out is um, there's just so many stories to tell. It's not just despair or, right. you know, uh, fear or killings or anything like that. There's really more stories that needs to be told in these communities. And we were like, how can we, how can we just cover, because there are, there are communities that we're not even covering, right? Because we are very small. Right. But what, what can we do if we have the full resources that can allow us to go to Worthington or St. Cloud or Wilmer or Rochester yeah. or Brooklyn Center or, you know, Lakeville, right? Like there are so communities in all these places that are not being seen, right? These stories. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we do stories, we see other media following up, you know, our stories after a week or so and picking it up from there. So in a, in a way, we are setting the agenda of what is news and what's mm -hmm. really a story when it comes to this community so that um, the rest of the media can be challenged to do better and serve these communities better because they have um, a very powerful, you know, medium. And how can they use that medium in a way that is that is beneficial to our all the whole the full communities everybody in, yeah. everybody in Minnesota yeah. yeah it's great I mean we all know Minnesotans love hearing stories about Minnesotans <laughs> and so really what you're doing is helping us hear more stories yes. about Minnesotans um you know you've talked about the complexity of the work 
there's a lot of intersections, but what about the work brings you joy? I think a few days ago, we published a story um, of this um, undocumented uh, immigrant who is a father, you know, um, single father. He has kids and he, he has work to do. You know, he has to provide for his family. And um, there's a discussion around um, IDs for undocumented immigrants in, in the state legislature right now. It's the first time in a while that both um, the House, you know, the Senate and, and the House is controlled by Democrats. And there's a huge need to accelerate, you know, the passing of this uh, measure where, you know, everybody can get uh, an ID so right. that they can live in a normal life. Uh, and this is something that have been happening, you know, for a while, since 2018 mm-hmm. or even before that. And now there's a real opportunity to to bring some peace to people who are, you know, in in in, in Minnesota. And there's just a lot of discussion around that issue, right? The lawmakers are talking about it. The activists are talking about it. Everyone is talking about it. And one of our reporters was like, "What about if we just follow around one person who don't have a driver's license?" Um, so we found this um, man. And we followed him around for a day or two and, you know, found out the challenge that he's facing, right? Yeah. Uh, this is a man who cannot take his kids to vacation, who cannot take his kids to Mall of America or to the parks or um, because he has a daily routine where he has to drive from his home to work, pick up his kids from his school if they need and come back home. He cannot even go outside during, after, you know, after dark. And for us to have a place that really center that story and say, you know, we are hearing all these discussions, but how can we humanize this issue? Like, you know, it's really a complex policy, right? How can we humanize and find a good way to paint a good picture on this issue? And... You know, I, I encourage listeners to really look up that story and read it. Well, and that's to, the yeah. thing that really, you know, um, in terms of, you know, just when you read that story and when you follow around and when you have a good picture and when you don't see that kind of story in other places, it just makes me very happy. Right. That's great. You are definitely um, humanizing stories, like you said, and we really appreciate you being here. I, uh, I just want to call out to our listeners that it is a non, you are running a nonprofit news organization. So if, if uh, they want to support you, they can certainly go to the website, but we really appreciate um, your time with us and all of the work that you're doing. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a very uh, interesting discussion. Yeah. Thank you. One. Well, Nadej, like with all of the conversations we have, we could spend uh, so much time parsing, going in different directions. I'm curious what, what stood out to you um, in this conversation? Now, what really stood out to me was um, Mukhtar's uh, focus on the humanness of the, of the reporter and the fact that, you know, when I asked about objectivity, he was sort of like, yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's not a thing because as a human, you have a relationship to the story. Sometimes the story doesn't impact you directly, but sometimes it impacts your lived experience and right. to like ignore that 
is actually not telling the full story. 100%. And, and he also brought in the principles of journalism. And I think that's, that's the counterbalance where humans are always going to be telling the stories, but if there are some common principles that really help us trust that storyteller, um, I think, I think that's helpful. I, when, when we think about the humanness that's involved in reporting, I also think it's, it's important for us as consumers of news media Mm -hmm. to think about how we are bringing our objectivity or our discernment to any news article, because I'm sure we have favorites where we're, you know, listening to particular um, venues or reading particular news streams. And well, let me ask you this. Do you think people can, I know what he said, but do you think these outlets that claim to be fully objective can ever, ever be that? I mean, I have to say no to that because you just think about how we're fed news media, just Mm -hmm. social media and the algorithms. Yes. If you've made any indication of where you lean, you get fed some and not others. So clearly there is something in the core of how people are delivering journalistic content that allows a distinguishing sort of perspective. You're right. You know, I I have my news, um, like my Apple news feed or whatever. I've picked outlets that I would never tune into just because, because I want to have that, that counterbalance. Um, of course it just makes me angry, which is like telling (laughs) in and of itself, like what? Um, but I do think it's important for us all to sort of keep our eyes on what's out there. And like I mentioned earlier, I, uh, was listening to a a story from a, a publication that I, that I follow that I think aligns with my values. And I'm like, huh, I don't think they're actually reporting completely fair and balanced. And again, it's, it's bringing sort of our discernment to these, these um, stories that we consume. Yeah. And also where you consume them. Right. Because I feel like each of the platforms sort of has a gray area or mm-hmm. an allowance for how you deal. I mean, here we are on a podcast. Yes. Like we aren't an objective news source, right? but lots of news outlets have, have podcasts. podcasts yes. And the podcasts where they deep dive on a particular uh-huh. issue and, you know, they're maybe using the bent of whoever the, the star yes. of the podcast vehicle is. Now, is that the same as if that person wrote a piece in their daily paper? Right. Which is fact checked and which has, you know, they're, they're trying to make it a, a, an objective piece of content. Right. And on a podcast, you're trying to tell a captivating story. You need somebody to tune into that episode Uh, and stay at minute one, all the way to minute, what, 40, 45, however long it is your, your show. Um, And so I feel like the agendas of the different vehicles influence how information is delivered. Right. Right. Well, there's a lot for us all to think about today as, as everyone's listening to our podcast, which is, you know, Fair and balanced in an Adesion <laughs> Melanie way. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You. You can find us on Facebook at I So Appreciate You Podcast and on Twitter and Instagram at So Appreciate You. We'd also appreciate you taking a moment to write us a review. And if you like our show, be sure to follow I So Appreciate You on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Have a question or topic suggestion? Email us at podcast at spmcf.org. Thank you for listening to I So Appreciate You.